and welcome once again to this edition of Political Profundity, a podcast from Modern Times Magazine. John Guzan and Karen Weil. Hello, Karen. Hi. Today, we are going to be talking, number one, uh, Donald Trump, um, and we have a few t- uh, topics to discuss about him today. Um, I guess, uh, you know, the biggest are um, what's going on with tariffs, potential recession, and uh, kind of catching up on his trips to El Paso and Dayton. Um, and then we're going to move um, across the world to Hong Kong and Russia, where there's protests in the streets. Um, and we're going to be talking about what potentially might happen there. Um, and then we're going to come back home to the United States, uh, catch up on the 2020 Democratic presidential race and what's going on with the nominees. Um, and then we're going to go to the Jeffrey Epstein stand, uh, scandal, um, uh, you know, and then talk about his, his recent death and then what else might happen in that. Um, as always, we like to jump with both feet and we will into Donald Trump, um, you know, firstly, Karen, uh, looks and it's you know looking like there has been some serious ramifications to the tariff gambit that he um, you know, has tried to pull off um, in order to get a better "quote unquote" deal. Um, now it looks like we're getting near um, recession. Even the market is uh, responding uh, down 600 points or so today, depending on when you're looking at it. Um, and then um, you know the yield curve is inverting. Um, you know, w- where do you think we are here? Does it look like, um, you know, to you from everything that we've been reading, it doesn't look good? Well, and I'm not an economic expert. Um, I've lived through, as you have, as I'm sure more than a few of our listeners have, several recessions. And for me, this, it, you know, I know yield curve and stuff like that, very unsexy, but it has real consequences. And if you're starting to hear even sort of, I'm, I'm, you know, if you have people normally who are not that in tune to what's going on to the economy, if you're having them voice concerns via mainstream media or elsewhere, that's an indicator that people are really worried about this, where they wouldn't have been, say, two years ago. Um, God, I hate having to bring up his name all the time, but I'm, as far as I'm concerned, Donald Trump is to blame for a lot of this right now because of this just extraordinarily incompetent, knee-jerk, childlike tariff you know, tirade that he's gone on, which isn't really hurting China at the moment. And it's interesting, John, that all of a sudden the administration has walked back placing these tariffs because, heaven forbid, it interfere with people being able to buy their Christmas gifts. And I'm not mocking that. But I I suspect they did it because uh, enough people said to them, hey, wait a minute, this is going to hurt the people who voted for you, you idiot. Stop this now, or you really are going to get your fat ass kicked for good next year in the election, which, based on polling right now, if it were the election were held tomorrow, Trump would lose decisively. So, and the only thing he has to run on is the economy. He has no other accomplishments whatsoever that matter to most American voters. Most American voters don't care about this ridiculous wall. They don't care about Trump's you know, 
foreign, well, he has no foreign policy achievements. He's done nothing of any merit that, that makes a positive difference. Uh, but they certainly don't support his social policies. So the only thing he can run on next year that's going to resonate with anyone outside of this bubble is the economy. And when you think about it, this guy was handed a pretty good economy. And again, he has deserves absolutely no credit for the, the good period that followed once he was installed in office. You know, he had interest rates were low. There was no inflation. Unemployment was low. Stock market was doing well. Um, even though there, you know, there have, and this has been a problem for a long time now, but concern about automation taking jobs and that not illegal. And I, you know, use that term in a, in a somewhat ironic sense, not illegal or undocumented workers are the reason why a lot of people have lost their jobs. Um, and then there was even a, a period between 2017 and 2018 where people got, you know, some modest wage increases. Fine. Again, Trump himself should take no credit for that because he had nothing to do with it. But then he and the Republican Party, even though they were being advised, don't do this, had this disgraceful tax cut for the rich, did nothing for the average American. It increased the deficits by $2 trillion. And, you know, so that's already pouring fire on the, you know, pouring, I'm sorry, I'm going to mix up the metaphors here. <laughs> you know, it's already pouring, sorry about that, everyone. It's pouring gasoline on the fire. Uh, then because he simply is, you know, unfit in every way you can imagine, decides to start this tariff war with China, again, for reasons that just simply defy any any logic, any maturity, or any any common sense. And so now, finally, and, you know, I had a feeling, I had a feeling this year, markets were going to start reflecting that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Dow fell over 700 points today. It's 2,000 points off its recent peak. And again, I look, you and I and, and people who live in the real world, we know that the Wall Street isn't always the real world. It's just like Twitter. That's not the real world either. Right. But nevertheless... If you start having serious stock market gyrations, that does affect the overall economy. Right. So, it's you know, a, and I, I will, the only other thing I'll say, because I, you know, pontificated enough on this already, <laughs> I think I think it's going to be even more nerve-wracking if the real estate market crashes, because I just want to tell a little personal anecdote. In 2005, my husband's job situation changed, and we had to leave southeastern Arizona, and now we had just bought a home there a few years before. And, of course, I'll never forget this. In early January 2006, I'm watching CBS News. The first story is the real estate market bubble is popping. And I thought, oh, no. Um, and one of the things economic analysts were saying, this, this does not bode well for the U.S. economy as a whole. Well, two years later, in September of 2008, we all know what happened. Right. So th these are just extraordinarily nerve-wracking times. And Paul Krugman, the New York Times columnist and Nobel Prize winner for economics, so I think the dude knows a little bit about mm -hmm. what right, he's talking. Right, right, right. Basically, basically said, you know, look, economies rise and fall all the time. And that's not always the, the fault of the president, even one as terrible as this guy. But he said the problem is right now we're being led by a gang that can't shoot straight. Right. So we have no one 
Not Steven Mnuchin, not Wilbur Ross. What is he even there for? Uh, certainly not Trump's chief of staff. There is no one with the good intentions or sincerity to handle this in a proper way. And now Trump's trashing his own Fed appointment. Uh, you know, Jerome Powell, it, he replaced uh, Janet Yellen with Powell. No offense to Powell. He's a good man working for a terrible person. But and that's that's causing even more jitters. Yeah, Here we you, are. Yeah, it, you know, it's 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 it's, it's troubling. It's yeah. really troubling. And you know, you, you you started your comments here, you know, by you know saying that you're not an expert on uh, on economics, and you know, I think the point that can be made is, well, the president isn't either, um, and <laughs> and no, um, you know, so you know, you know, whether we, but you know, unlike I think um, the president. Um, what we would do, and even Barack Obama wasn't an economic master. You know, he's not obviously. Um, he, you know, he's an educated person who would get his information, and I think that's the important thing: is that we don't, uh, we and we shouldn't expect our presidents to be experts in everything, but that they open their ears to the experts in the individual fields that they need to be concerned about. Um, and we know that there are, um, you know, the folks that 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 do investment and management of, 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 of central banks. And, and uh, they are saying that it's partially um, and, you know, maybe majoritively um, the fault of this whole tariff game that is causing this. Um, you know, one that was quoted specifically in the Washington Post was uh, Dan Evason, the uh, chief investment officer for PIMCO, which manages $1.76 trillion in assets across the world based out of Newport Beach, California. So again, it's not us and just having opinions. We are, you know, learning what we can learn and what we would hope that the president would also do. Um, that sometimes, you know, you're because you want to play a gambit because you say that that there is, um, you know, a, a trade disparity and that means that somebody is winning over you is not necessarily the case. And you will cause a recession or a depression because of that, uh, I guess, a superficial act, um, you know, which is is the way that I see it. Um, and a lot of things that I think people need to understand is when we're trying to get jobs back here. Or you talk about the difference of, uh, you know, uh, in, in uh, uh, I guess a difference would be the wrong word, a trade deficit between a country is the reason why China exports so many things is because they exploit their workers. So if we would want to take over, um, you know, and, and overcome them and become an industrial power again, that's what it would mean. We're not going to get them to start paying their people more. And we can get down to, you know, when we talk about Hong Kong and protests and what the Chinese government does, um, that's where we start playing this game. So we have to, I think, get out from underneath this idea. Um, you know, we like what we get from them. And the reason why they're doing it is because we are in the service sector. They are in the manufacturing sector uh, now in this global economy that we live in. Changing those dynamics means completely changing what we've been doing and what we might be doing in the future. So, you know, whether we talk about the gambit being worth it or not, I'd have to say no. This might be a completely a fruitless process in all measures because one, um, you know, we have to understand what we want our people to do and they're not going to be able to have a standard of living. 
um, making these things anymore. Um, making brooms is probably not going to happen because Americans want to earn a certain amount because they want to buy these Chinese um, uh, products. And we want to have cell phones and we want to have other things. Um, you know, the common uh, uh, ch- uh, uh, Chinese person who's, who's, who's working in a factory um, would not be working in our ideal of a Ford factory from the 50s or even in a watch manufacturer um, uh, in, the, in, in the 40s, I guess, or in the 30s because the whole watch um, market and the whole clock market in uh, New England uh, collapsed after the war when they started making those things in Asia to begin with. Um, so, you know, you know, where we are with Trump and tariffs, um, and with this recession, again, um, all the experts are saying it's getting there. The yield curve, um, to them says it portends a recession in 12 to 24 months. Uh, some might say 18 months. Um, and at least, you know, if it is going to come and it's going to be avoidable, I at least hope it comes before the election so that we can have a, basically a referendum on this political calculus, um, you know, the only thing I fear is that if it, it is delayed long enough, it might just, um, you know, get him into office. And the last thing I want to mention is, and that isn't really part of this here, is um, the whole idea behind not um, increasing deficits and the whole um, attacks upon Barack Obama was that he was spending all this money. Well, you know, the current um, macroeconomic um, ideals are that government spending should shrink when you are doing well, and it needs to be hastened when recession hits. And we have increased our deficit spending in times of good in order to fund corporate and uh, private tax cuts, and it will make it even worse for us when we need to recover from a future recession, which is inevitable, as you mentioned. It will happen at some point in time, but instead of keeping our power dry, powder dry this time, we have spent it on corporate tax cuts. Um, so that's where I'm at on on tariffs, the economy, the possible or the predicted recession. Um, you know, if you got anything else to add, let's move on to uh, uh, the president's uh, lovely trip to Dayton or El Paso. But I'll leave that up to you. Well, as we know, uh, the weekend before. I mean, unfortunately, it seems like every weekend now. And I, I just want to mention this. Uh, there, today in Philadelphia, there were six police officers who were shot. None of them, now none of them were killed, and they're expected to recover. But still, that is absolutely horrifying. There was yes. a police officer killed in Riverside, California, right. yesterday. Um, just I, I bring that up only just, you know, sadly, gun violence touches People, and, you know, in and, law enforcement too, obviously. And and, and, and we were horrible. lucky that they didn't lose some uh, some uh, ice ice personnel in San Antonio. Um, there was a yeah, random shooting I, I, at an ice office too. I mean, it's it seems to be now proliferating. Right, it's horrifyingly so. But in in light of the horrible mass shootings in Dayton and El Paso, Donald Trump, of course, visited both these cities, and he was flat out told by a lot of people in El Paso, we don't want you here. Now, El Paso, even though Texas is a red, now sort of reddish going purple state, I think, and El Paso, like many of the cities in Texas, is solidly Democratic. Trump lost El Paso. I forget by how much, but he is I think it was Not 20 percentage points, I think. I think, you know, I mean, again, we could look it up, but I think it was 20 percent, if that helps you. Yeah, I mean, he got his ass kicked. There's no, excuse me, there's no other way to say it. Um, 
it's always been a drummer card stronghold. Now, stronghold. Now that aside, I, I just, you know, it's it's it just tells you that at a time like this, normally a president's presence, whether people voted for him or her or not, is welcomed. But the fact that El Paso strongly responded with "No, don't come here," that tells you something. Now Dayton was another matter. The mayor of Dayton is a Democrat. She said, I'm going to meet up with him. I want to talk to him, you know, hopefully try to get through to him. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, Trump visited with some of the victims there. And, of course, there were pictures. And you and I have talked about this, you know, another time, of, of hospital employees posing with him, all grinning like idiots, which... I'm sorry, John, that is not appropriate. Normally, when presidents go to hospitals, yes, they meet the doctors, they'll meet the people who were harmed, you know, hospital staff. We've seen pictures of the Obamas, the Bushes, other other legitimate actual presidents, something Trump isn't. Again, acting more appropriate for the situation. A lot of hugs, usually, Instead, and a lot of uh, um, you know face-to-face yes. and serious discussion. Not yes, not not right. not uh, campaign photo ops, right? Correct. I mean, and and Dayton, of course, in Ohio is a very rich state. Now, I I don't know if Trump won Dayton. Doesn't really matter one way or the other. Um, and of course, that visit I don't think was as controversial because the shooter in Dayton, who is dead. Um, I, it doesn't appear that his actions were related to any political issue, or it may. Although I, I take that back, there may be some resentment he had of the LGBTQ community. Uh, his a, the sibling that he murdered, and I, the reports on this, I you know I, I've seen several might have been transgender. So again, we and he said we don't know what was in this person's head. Um, of course, all we know are six people, or was it nine? I Forgive me, you, you can't help but lose track sometimes because this is happening so much. But, you know, all we know is there are people who didn't deserve it who are no longer with us now, and their only crime was they wanted to go to a nightclub and enjoy their evening, which you should be able to do. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, I still, you know, it still looked pretty tacky on Trump's part. And, and yes, I'll say this too of the hospital employees to be posing with him. They should be ashamed of themselves. I, I'm sorry, even if you're a supporter, even if I'm a supporter of a president, if they want to do that, I'd say, you know what? I'm just not comfortable with that. You know, you you take pictures with somebody else. I'm busy working. I'm busy taking care of patients. Or at any rate, um, I think the El Paso visit, obviously, a lot of people were outraged over. And specifically, they were not only, well, as you probably know, none of the victims otherwise wanted to meet with Trump. Mm-hmm. And again, that tells you that just tells you something incredible and, you know, good for them for not doing so. But of course we all know there was a photo that was released by Melania Trump, the quote unquote first lady. Um, and we've all seen it. It's, it's the Trumps with the baby of the couple who were killed when they were protecting their child. Uh, the last name is Achando. And we've, we've all seen this picture of the Trumps with Melania holding the baby who's got a bow tie on and kind of looking off in the distance. And I believe it's the 
the baby's uncle, and I, there's a woman standing there, an older woman, it may be a, a grandmother or an aunt. I, I'm sorry, I'm not clear. Now, supposedly the the deceased father was a Trump supporter. I don't know if he, I think the uncle is too. And so they were willing to well, go ahead. that was ahead. at least and what the uncle had been thing. stating. You know, I, you know I, don't, I, don't, I don't know whether anybody has uh, c- confirmed that or not. We, I, right. I don't know. And ultimately, it doesn't matter. On that level, it doesn't. But I, we should note that this, this child, this infant, had been released from the hospital. And the family, some family members, decided to bring the baby back solely so Trump and his wife could pose with the boy. And, of course, it's just the picture of Trump, who has absolutely no self-awareness whatsoever, that's, that's been patently obvious for years. Sitting there smiling again like one of that creepy Joker-like smile of him, he's not capable of a genuine smile that truly comes from the heart or the soul. Mm-hmm. And he has a thumbs up. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. I don't mean to raise my voice. And then Melania, who, you know, I, I just want to say something about her. I know people have said, go easy on the first lady, you know, she doesn't ask for this. I'm sorry. Mrs. Trump has been long been an enabler of her husband's despicable behavior. I have no respect and no sympathy for her. And she's holding this kid, too, and she's also smiling. I, it, is, it is just one of the most disgusting images I have ever seen. Yeah, you know, I mean, John, I, you, know, I, I, you know, it's really indicative, I think, of the disconnect between um, you know, being in a situation, anytime you have a baby in a good situation, it, it elicits smiles, but it's the ability, I think, to disconnect what this kid went through, what the community went through, um, you know, what the other victims had to go through. I mean, the survivors, um, specifically. Um, and, and, and so, you know, you have to have those two things together. And I know just thinking about the possibility of holding that child who, um, ended up getting broken bones from the pressure from his uh, dead parents' bodies um, would elicit a different response than a smile, although almost any other baby who I would be holding in for good reasons would would elicit those looks um, from me. Um, but just knowing that, you know, what this kid had gone through, would and it's so symbolic, I think, of, 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 of that incident, um, that, you know, it, like you said, it becomes that disconnect. Can you really connect with anybody when that's what happens um, when you go visit the, you know, that child after that shooting? Um, it just kind of shows you how I think there's that complete disconnect between reality, um, between situations, between survivors, between regular people and people who put on a face and want to be famous. Right. And there's also there was video of Trump when he was meeting with some doctors. He's not there thanking them. I mean, not the footage I saw for all their incredible work for saving lives or treating people or comforting, you know, grieving families. He's talking about his election victory again and bad mouthing Beto O'Rourke, the Democrat who's running for president. And and I think, frankly, he was the one. El Pasoans were looking to for comfort, mm-hmm. not Donald Trump. Yeah, Again, know, it's always about Trump. It is never about anyone else. It is just part of the sociopathic nature of this man. And I use that term loosely because Donald Trump is not a real right, man right. in any way, 
shape or form. Right. Um, and, it, you know, I, it did I just, show that, I, that I, you know, also what happened in Dayton, I think, you know, leads to uh, just a couple of days before he had been talking about we all need to come together, but then it became a political trip right from the beginning. Right. And, and no matter absolutely. how much people were trying to put aside, and, you know, I do think that the Dayton mayor gave every effort to put aside any sort of uh, political dislike for the president's policies. As you mentioned, she's obviously a Democrat as well. Um, she tried to put all that aside and just ended up getting attacked for it. And so, you so know, it Sharon doesn't... Brown. Right. Yeah. Right. The, the, the Ohio senator, the Democrat, who just got reelected. In fact, he complimented the Trumps. And what did Trump do? Attack Sharon Brown. I, I, again, this is just somebody that has absolutely not a shred of human decency. I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. And what I want to say about the family of the, you know, the, the surviving family of the little boy, I, I can't even imagine what they're going through. I, I can't. And my heart breaks for them and their loss. But I would like to honestly ask them, maybe couldn't you have just met the president privately? Did, did you I, I mean, I know it would never have been their intention to have this child used as a prop, but I'm sorry, that's exactly what the baby was to the Trumps. He was a prop. A prop. And, and again, I, this did not help Trump's image one bit with anybody outside of his base. It simply, I think, further enforced the revulsion most feel towards him. And, yes, I'm going to say feel toward the first lady, too. Right. Hey, and that's look- just a shameful time. It's just an incredibly shameful thing. And again, I, I just my heart breaks for all of the victims and for their families. It's they deserved better. Well, let's move on to our next topic here, because I think we can, um, you know, uh, especially the actions of uh, President Trump and what's going on with the economy and his trip. Um, I think we can debate forever. But, um, you know, we yeah. also have something and some very interesting events going on around the world. Um, in Hong Kong and Russia, there's been extensive protests, uh, especially in Hong Kong. Um, what's going on there? It seems like a powder keg ready to blow. Um, yeah, as we, you know, for anybody who needs the history lesson, uh, Hong Kong was a British protectorate for uh, decades. Um, at the turnover time when their contract expired, um, the British did turn it over. Um, but the people there, none, no matter how connected they are, um, a lot, you know, most of them have, uh, you know, are, 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 are technically Chinese, um, you know, have that as their ethnic background. Um, but they're different kinds of people because they didn't, you know, most of them didn't grow up under the thumb of the repressive government. Um, so they either um, have a greater love for freedom or expect to be able to express it. Um, as you would in any other democracy, which we know that China isn't. Um, so that's really what they're fighting for. Um, they want more freedoms. They want democracy. They want the ability to elect their own people, d- declare their own, um, you know, moving forward. Uh, you know, the agreement, I think, called for them to really be semi-autonomous, and that has been increasingly threatened by the Chinese government. Um as, as, as always, it did seem like uh, the statement that um, uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi put out would be a, a, the type of, of, of comment that you would expect from any other president besides Donald Trump, who just said, hey, stay safe. 
Um, that was his, uh, you know, uh, uh, real, t- you know, tweet statement on this. Um, but uh, I just wanted to read, you know, before I give the floor over to you on what's going on in Hong Kong, um, I'm going to read um, the, the, the first paragraph from Pelosi's statement um, yesterday. And it was, quote, for 10 weeks now, the people of Hong Kong have inspired the world with the courage and determination with which they are fighting for the freedom, justice, and true autonomy that they were promised. The chief executive and legislative council must finally, fully meet the legitimate democratic aspirations of the Hong Kong people, as guaranteed under one country, two systems, starting by completely and immediately withdrawing the dangerous extradition bill, investigating and ending police violence, and granting universal suffrage. End quote. So, to me, that's, you know, what a normal president would have something close to that statement. Um, and we haven't gotten it from our current president. Um, and the last thing I want to uh, mention before we throw it over to you, it looks like the Chinese government is engaging in one intimidation and two preparation for actually coming through, uh, uh, seeing through their threats that they will take these protests down and anyone who stands in their way and not live up to the one country, two systems bill, um, or agreement. Um, and it, you know, massing forces in cities around there, um, you know, putting out videos showing them, um, uh, you know, uh, how they're going to handle crowds, um, with, um, their batons and their water cannons and possibly, uh, machine guns, uh, or like in Tiananmen Square with tanks. Um, and you know, it is a very scary situation. I feel like we're back to 19, um, what was that? 86, uh, 89, 89. It was June of 89. I remember it very well. Um, so, you know, um, it's, it, you know, it seems like we're there, but worse because I think it was very easy for those people in Tiananmen Square to understand we're all going to die. And, and because they grew up under the system. And I don't know for sure whether the people in Hong Kong are saying, give me liberty or give me death. And if that's the case, um, it can be a, uh, a, a, a really a, a human rights and a crime against humanity, which might be about to be undertaken. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I can only say to the people of Hong Kong, you know, the United States, the American people themselves stand with you. Donald Trump, not so much. And don't look to him for anything because he's not a legitimate president. He's not the leader of the free world, that role for now. And, you know, it's questionable given maybe her health situation belongs to Angela Merkel. Um, and this is where we are when the United States is no longer considered the leading superpower on anything because the person in charge of its executive branch is so corrupt and so sociopathic and so terrible that we can't look to him for any proper leadership or response. I mean, I, it just just blows your mind to think about sometimes. Um, I appreciate Pelosi and her strong stance on this, but, you know, let's face it, she doesn't have a lot of power to affect this right now. No, you know, I, I, you um, know, I, was, I, I was just mentioning it because, of, you know, it's indicative of, of how I think responsible you know, uh, governing is done and no, which we're absolutely. not getting. No, I, I, again, I, I think she made, you know, she sets the right tone for this. Uh, but basically we've seen reports where Trump doesn't want to confront. She, in fact, 
I, I, you know, basically thinks this is okay. He, he's fine with China going in and taking drastic measures to, con- you know, control uh, the rioting. Or I shouldn't, shouldn't call it rioting. I'm sorry, the protests in Hong Kong. Um, and that's just, you know, that tells you what Donald Trump is. He's, a, he's an autocrat, and he supports other autocrats. It's why he coddles people like MBS and Vladimir Putin and Duterte and a whole list of other rogues, because this is what he wants. I'm sorry to put it in those kind of terms. I, I, I think, look, you know, the, the people of Hong Kong, even though China has now had control of, of the city for 20 years plus now, they're used to certain freedoms. They're used to having liberties. And now that the Chinese government probably thinks after a certain amount of time, oh, we can, we can start cracking down on that now. Uh, you know, they, they badly misjudged where the people of Hong Kong are. And that they're not just going to stand there and take it. Um, you know, you may, they were successful in pushing back a, a policy change that, uh, that the, the Chinese government wanted, wanted in terms of just sort of busting people and arresting them and taking away their rights. That was just, what, a month ago when we saw that, mm-hmm. those kind of protests and how powerful they were. Um, you know, it, it, and it, things got pretty hairy yesterday when a lot of protesters basically took over the airport. Now they have apologized uh, to the airport and to the city of Hong Kong at large for having done that, with the, which was supposed to be a peaceful sit-in, which kind of devolved into chaos and you know, other problems. And, and, and frankly, I mean, I'm not surprised that happened, no matter how well-intended the protesters may have been, uh, given that kind right. of environment. Right. Um, but still, you, you just can't help but... but you can't blame these people for wanting to hold on to their basic civil rights. And, I mean, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but, again, Americans, not all Americans, but just far too many for too long, and I get it. You can't be obsessed with this stuff 24-7, but they have taken democracy for granted. And now that we're, you know, dealing with somebody who is happy to destroy every last part of that, if that means protecting him and his family, you know, it's, 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 it's almost impossible in some ways for people to find, you know, an easy way to respond to that because there's not. And, and, and as it should be, civil, peaceful protest is the main way to do that. And voting, with being tied with voting, you know, in massive large numbers. But of course, we know one political party is doing everything it can to crack down on that because the GOP knows it can no longer win elections outright. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, most Americans are not interested in a lot of the stuff Republicans are. I'm sorry, but they're not. Right. So, you know, hence we see the kind of voter suppression in places like Texas, in Florida. Alabama, right, right. you know, and a few other states, yeah. Wisconsin, which is now Let's starting to kind of pull away from, from the Republicans here. a little bit. But if this is, you know, these are very tense times. And, Let's stay on our topic here. And especially, I'm sorry? I said, let's stay on our topic here, though. We're still in Hong Kong. Yeah, sorry. I Well, that's what I'm saying. And just, but it, it all ties together, John. Oh, yeah. Because what we're seeing are the people of Hong Kong fighting back as best they can. Um. You know, and I think it's interesting. Uh, one of the reports that I saw, uh, I saw was that besides uh, massing troops along the border, supposedly um, the Hong Kong protest mov- movement has been uh, infiltrated by Chinese agents, and as we know, which has happened, 
Um, you can crack down when some people start rioting and then supposedly half of the members of Antifa or our government agents, half of the members of white supremacist groups have been that way too. And it's usually those who are trying to start trouble in order to crack down on them. And I guess it really depends on how you think about those groups and whether you want them to be cracked down on. Um, but, uh, you know, you never really know what goes on. Um, I, you know, as, as always, I think when, when, when people are doing things, just, you know, for just reasons, um, they will prevail. So we got to hope the same thing happens in Hong Kong. Um, if we can, let's tack over to Russia. Um, really, um, you know, is that all right with you, Karen? You got anything else you want to add about sure. Hong Kong? No. Um, so in uh, Russia, I guess it's primarily in Moscow, although it seems to be at least spreading to a few other smaller places. But, uh, you know, this week, this past weekend, 50,000 in Moscow, um, mainly because of how election officials banned opposition candidates from running for city council. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, as 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 much as Putin wants to uh, make it always seem like he has um, undying support, um, it's 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 the same that it is in Russia as anywhere else, and I think that they understand what's going on. I think the Russians um, really don't. Uh, you know, for sure, all of them don't. Um, as you can tell, when you get 50,000 people um, uh, in Moscow to protest, um, that's not it's not the same as getting 50,000 people even in New York or anywhere else. These people, some of them are putting jail time on the line and we're talking not um, just going to jail and being released. Um, we're talking maybe never getting out um, is possible if you if you you know come out against the establishment in Russia. Um, but it does seem like no matter what, uh, games you try to play when you are a totalitarian person, uh, whether that's Donald Trump or, or Putin or Xi, um, you know, the people will rise up at some point. We have too much ease of communication in this world at this point in time for really the wool to be pulled over people's eyes forever. And that's, you know, I don't think it's a real crisis situation as it is in Hong Kong, which we talked about. I mean, we might see thousands die and, you know, and, and or more than that being jailed. Um, very soon, um, it doesn't seem like it's going to go away. Um, uh, you know, when you when you have thousands of troops and thousands of troop carriers being ready to go into the city, um, that's that's usually not a way to, that's going to be backed off because those people don't look like they're going to back off. But in Russia, it seems like it's just getting started. Um, do you think that there's you know that 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 what's going on in Russia right now could eventually evolve into that same sort of situation that we got see going on in Hong Kong, and what do you think you know uh, Putin's response is going to be? Well, I I you know put Vladimir Putin uh, is I you know he's going to take whatever measures he feels he has to to crack down on this. Um, you know this is a man who's you know, has serious allegations against him in the connection with with, with the deaths of numerous Russian journalists, uh, never mind uh, other types of unethical, illegal, immoral activities that he's been accused of. Um, I, you know, I, I can't say I've been to Russia. I've talked to a lot of people who have either from there or have traveled quite a bit in the country. And their attitude is they they while they don't feel this may necessarily represent a huge sea change it it's maybe the beginning of a of a steady opposition movement against Putin and that might actually 
in the future lead to him being out of office. But, uh, you know, they, they just said it's it's just too early at the moment to really make any predictions. I, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly not surprised to see this kind of backlash against Putin. I, I think that's been brewing for some time. Um, I, I, clearly, the man's been in power for almost 20 years. You know, it, while he may have helped, it may have helped the Russian economy for a time and may have made the country a, a more important power player. They got the 2014 Olympics, for example. Uh, I, I just think, unfortunately, the incredible corruption connected to oligarchs, Russia's interference in the 2016 elected, election to get Trump in the Oval Office. Uh, and I just think a host of other issues in that country I, I just, to me, it's this incredible brew that's now resulting, you know, I'm mixing metaphors here, but in, uh, you know, the public outrage and now protest. Um, I, I think it's good to see and certainly, you know, hope it becomes more successful in terms of maybe actually leading to Putin being removed from office. I, I you know, I just, it's a little too early to tell but uh, you know it, it just it goes to show john no matter what the country maybe not north korea but in general when you know you have a population that is unhappy with how things are going you know they're going to react you know through peaceful protests and and sometimes in in ways that are not so peaceful mm-hmm. and I, let's just hope that this is the beginning of a really important big movement that leads to major, more positive change for Russia. Uh, because I, you know, you, you hear the country being described sometimes as nothing more than a gas station with, you know, nuclear weapons. And, you know, popul- concerns about the fact that Russia's population has been decreasing for some time, that there's just a lot of young people want to leave the country. I, I think, unfortunately, I think Putin's glory days are over there. But, you know, he's not going to leave easily, mm-hmm. even though he should have made it. You know, he should have left office 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. You know, so yeah, it, we know the scam that he played there. Yeah, the scam that he played there where um, he he became vice president uh, in name only. Um, and then uh, mm-hmm. after the term was over, he became president again, which is, you know. Uh, I, I, I just don't see that happening in any other place that had a, that was a functioning democracy for a hundred years, but gosh knows, I never would have seen Trump as president. Um, anyway, can, uh, maybe mm-hmm. we move on to our next topic here, um, and, and come back to the United States and talk about the 2020 de- democratic presidential, um, process, I guess, um, and what's going on with the nominees. And the first thing, um, that I want to talk about and, and just kind of throw over to you, um, is, is you had discussed this a long time ago and we started talking about the 2020 campaign that a lot of these people should be running for Senate. And it seems like that is even gaining more traction now. And it was one of the other things we had debated earlier this summer, late spring, was that they would be dropping out if they hadn't made a move by August, September. And it does look like that's going to be what happens. Uh, Hickenlooper, O'Rourke, um, and some others look like they're, bound, they're, they're Senate candidates, um, or at least they will be very soon. Um, how, how, how do you see all that playing out? Well, uh, first of all, I mean, until we have the first caucus in Iowa, uh, yeah. or you know, until we have, you know, New Hampshire, we have some major primaries where 
front runners really begin to emerge. You know, I'm not going to predict that anyone being, you know, ending up speaking before the Democrats in South Carolina next summer, you know, and, and speaking to millions and that's of still February. You know, people here and around the world. Right. And that's I, still I do, February, right? I mean, we're still talking February 3rd, 2020, Iowa. Right. It's, it's, it's a long ways away still. It's interesting, obviously, that, you know, Rourke, honestly, I will say, I, I felt like he might be doing a little better than he is now. Now, according to some recent polls, he's, he has moved up. He's now behind Kamala Harris, the senator from California. And, it, it, you know, again, sort of the horse race theory is the momentum she got from her and from the first debates where she really challenged Vice President Joe Biden, you know, boosted her a little bit. But for now, she's had kind of a, a bit of a downward trajectory. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see, you know, speaking of the former vice president, he's still in number one here with voters. Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, is doing quite well. She's number two. Right. This is according to the latest 538 poll. Now Bernie Sanders, a name almost everybody knows, uh, the guy who might have been the Democratic nominee in 2016. But he's, you know, he's in third place. But, you know, for somebody who I, I honestly thought would be doing better, you know, he's not. And I, I, I don't want to speculate all that much why. There could be numerous reasons. But and Senator Cory Booker has actually got the fourth spot here, the senator from New Jersey, uh, with Harris being five. I, I, you know, I think, honestly, look, ideally, I, although I can understand to some degree why he didn't just decide after when he lost barely to Ted Cruz in Texas last year, or just and say, you know, oh, yeah, now I'm going to turn around and run against John Cornyn, who's up for re-election in Texas mm-hmm. next year. It might have looked a little bit... I think to some voters in that state, just a bit of a desperation move. And I think early on there had been talk, even before he was running for Senate, the Senate seat in 2018, that O'Rourke was somebody who was really going places. He had the charisma. He had the ability to reach a very diverse electorate, especially more conservative voters. Uh, you know, in a way, other Democrats in the past there couldn't. Um You know, I think he got a lot of, uh, you know, he got a lot of flack for his performance in the first set of debates, you know, a month and a half ago. I don't think he did too badly, but it it really wasn't sort of that quote unquote star making moment. And I, I really hate those kinds of terms because again, until you've had primaries, you really have no idea who's going to emerge. But I, I will say, frankly, John Hickenlooper, I don't know what he's doing running. This is the governor of Colorado. He should be challenging Cory Gardner, the, the senator. You know, the Republican senator from Colorado who's very unpopular and is the most vulnerable senator up for re-election. Um, I think Hickenlooper, there was a, a poll done. He, he's, he leads Gardner by 10 to 11 points. I think he'd easily win. Um, honestly, I don't know what the governor of Maryland, Steve Bullock, is doing. Uh, not Maryland, I'm sorry. Montana is doing. <laughs> you know, Steve Gaines, the Republican senator there, is up for re-election. I, you know, that's a very red state. But, you know, Bullock would have the name recognition to, to at least, you know, do very well and maybe even beat Steve James, because after all, a Democrat can win there, not only Bullock, but of course, John Tester, who was just reelected last year. Um, so it's, it's just interesting to see those two names. Um, for me, in terms of, of name recognition, 
it, it's again, you, you know, you've heard a lot of talk about this. Why are so many running people running? I mean, there, there are, there are several names here. Uh, Seth Moulton, a state, a, a congressional rep from Massachusetts. He has zero percentage support. I don't mean to laugh at this. It's, you know, Mike Gravel, the former, I think he was a senator from Alaska or the governor. And he's, he's in his, I think, late seventies or maybe even early eighties. He's not, he has absolutely no percentage points of support. Joe Sestak, who's actually has been a, you know, a major candidate for, I think, a Senate seat in Pennsylvania and, and maybe a congressional seat. He's also not polling at all. Michael Bennett, who's a current senator in Colorado. Again, another one, a good man. Why are you running? Yeah, it's it's just not going to happen. I So I, I think, obviously, in terms of Senate you know, possibilities, O'Rourke, Hickenlooper, and Bullock would all be very strong candidates in those states now. You know, Hickenlooper's gone on record saying, I'm kind of, I'm considering what I'm going to do. Because obviously he's looking at the writing on the wall and he knows he's not, he really doesn't have a chance right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if I were the campaign advisor, I'd just say, you know, it's time to focus on a Senate race where you really, I I think Hickenlooper would win outright. I I think O'Rourke might have a little harder time, but... Uh, you know, maybe this is the time he wins because a lot of people in Texas don't like John Cornyn all that much either. Um, so it's it's again that you know you, you had but you had how many people running for, on the Republican side for the presidency in 2016? There were right, which what, would, what allowed Trump to win? I mean, a lot of people will argue that it allowed the worst candidate to to come out on top. Well, and that's right. And there's 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 the argument, unfortunately, because there were too many Republicans who couldn't coalesce in time against Trump, we ended up in the daily nightmare that we are now. Right. Um, I, I don't, with the Democrats, I don't think that's quite the same situation right. the, because, again, there is not Joe, that Joe sort Biden of candidate and, there, right? Yeah. I know, I agree. There's right. not that kind of candidate on the Democratic side. That, that, Joe Biden, for all his gaffes, and yes, some of them, you know, they do cause concern. I'm not going to deny that. Um, he's still a trillion times the person Trump is. In fact, every person running right now in the Democratic slot, Whatever their drawbacks are still far better people than Donald Trump is. Um, You know, Marianne Williamson, who I think, frankly, is a joke and has no business being there at all. But, hell, I'd rather have her in office right now. That tells you (laughs) how bad things are in this country. And I am no fan of Marianne Williamson. Yeah, well, luckily. Uh, Frankly, I hope she drops out. But it's. I don't think, you know, luckily we're going to have to make that choice. I don't think I don't think that's going to be there. Um but as as we know, I think you know there was a um, you know the excuse me the online betting markets are saying that that, that Elizabeth Warren is finally <laughs> getting there, um, you know which is something because I guess they have been you know as good as any to predict because actually people are putting their money where um, you know their mouth is um, you know but it's you know it's going to be real interesting I you know I just have to agree with you that. Um, and, and we had talked about it on this podcast before. I still think we're in the in the areas of a lot. You know, there will be some people who drop out before the first primary, um, but most of them will end up staying in if they can, even if that means they're not on the debate schedule. They'll still stay in until at least February, and then you'll see mass defections, and then there will be only four candidates, maybe five. Um, from February through the summer, um, when you really get to, um, you know, some of the biggies that that really might determine some things. And I, because you know, as we can see right now, you have 
um, you know, deep pockets and support for three solid candidates. Those three will make it at least somewhere into the middle of the summer. And that's Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Those three are going to make it just upon how they're already trending and the fact that they have um, uh, a fairly large campaign trust and they're probably going to be successful in one or two of these other states to keep them going. Um, and then you have, you know, Kamala Harris, uh, Pete Buttigieg, and Cory Booker, and they are that second tier at this point. And then it depends on whether they are able to get some early momentum, and then they stay in longer or they don't. Um, and you might see some of those as vice presidential, uh, vice presidential candidates. I can easily see a ticket of Biden and Harris actually being able to be very formidable in November of 2020. Um, but, you know, I just don't see Elizabeth Warren taking the vice presidential, um, you know, ticket, especially, you know, I, I just don't see it happening. It's possible. She might. Um, I just don't see it as possible, especially with Biden, um, you know, but piling Biden up with 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 Harris, I think, is very attractive um, for those um, who need to vote. And, you know, the thing I want to jump to is it was very interesting. I saw him on MS. MSNBC, and then I went out and made sure that I found the article online. But um, columnist Jonathan Capehart wrote a a opinion piece about um, when he went to his family barbecue, um, and I think it was South Carolina. I wouldn't want to say South Carolina or North Carolina here, so I'm going to look it up real quick. But um, he went there, and then he used it, uh, North Carolina, sorry, um, and he used it as a way to kind of take a pulse of, um, you know, a slice of African-American voters. Now, they're all family with him, which, you know, some people might say it, it, it kind of belies um, all of their political bent. But as we all probably know, most families don't lean one way politically. Everyone, I think, is as, as, as tense and as fighting within that family as they are anything else. Um, and we all have the crazy uncle um, or the crazy brother or the crazy uh, cousin who we know is way out on the fringe um, and, 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 you know, probably shouldn't be allowed uh, around children. Um, but, um, you know, what he saw there was and, you know, you know, the interesting thing I think that came out of it was he was saying at this point, at least from only his family, um, but he was saying that a lot of them were saying um, we need an old white guy to beat this old white guy. Um, and, and, and that's, and now, you know, these are the words that Cape Art was using, not mine, but that's, that's really what he was saying is that amongst his family, when they're being honest, they're saying that's what they want. Um, um, and that's what they think everybody else will vote for. And as anybody else, they were all under the idea of whatever we got to do to beat Donald Trump and let's get this old white guy to beat the other old white guy. Um, and, you know, before I turn it back over to you, I guess one of the interesting things, too, was that he said and he felt from people um, because he wanted people to win he or they wanted the Democrats to win, get Trump out. And even though a lot of them like Kamala Harris, they said, um, we don't think that uh, this lady of color will be able might not be able to beat um, this old white guy when they had an old white lady and even she couldn't beat him because of how much people saw race in it. Um, and that, that he also then thought, you know, further thought that Harris was at the same sort of point that Obama was in 2008, that when he polled, 
other African Americans like him, whether if informally amongst his family, he kind of, you know, kind of always talks. I mean, what you always kind of talk with your family a bit, but people felt the same way about Obama at that point in time that they said, yeah, we'd love it, but we don't know we don't think America is ready to vote for a black man for president. And that when he once started winning a few of these primary races, caucuses, uh, and primaries, um, then everybody jumped on board and said, no, this guy can beat an old white guy. So everybody jumped behind him because what they really want is someone to win. Um, and so I think, you know, Harris is poised for that. Um, and I think there is always going to be a lot of that support behind Biden because I think, you know, people generally know the kind of man that he is. At least he's, he's probably going to delegate most of what he does. Um, and, you know, read off a teleprompter everywhere, and that's fine because he's not going to be pushing uh, crazy tariffs that might get us in a recession or uh, pulling out of an Iran deal that might get us into war there. And, you know, I, you know to me, that, they, you know, that gave me a little bit more, um, you know, hope, I think, that, that, that you, know, you know, people are just like, hey, whoever we're going to get around, we're going to get around it, and we're going to find out who it is, and I don't even care if— they don't look like me. They don't sound like me. They don't talk like me as long as they're not 45. So, you know, and I mean President 45 for those who are wondering. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, I think what's starting to develop in terms of Democratic voters, especially within the base, and that's still a pretty diverse base, um, is that, you know, vote blue no matter who. Uh, again, people just, we want Trump out of office. First, we want him impeached with, with the understanding he probably won't be convicted or removed in the Senate. But, you know, we want him held accountable. And then, you know, if he, Trump, if he's impeached before this year is over, he's going to, you know, hobble into 2020 really damaged even more than he already is. But I, I, and I think it's just Democrats are fired up one way or the other that they're just, it doesn't matter who the nominee is now, provided they're a decent human being and not Donald Trump. But, you know, then again, yeah, again, we just said nearly all of the Democrats are still leaps and bounds, better leaders and better people than Trump is. Mm -hmm. But, well, you know, I, I just that's kind of the chorus that's growing here. I don't think we're going to see a repeat of the 2016 primary where, you know, not to rehash any of what happened, where. Bernie Sanders supporters felt like there were too many thumbs on the scales for Hillary Clinton, even though most of their allegations couldn't be backed up with any real evidence. Yeah, and, um, and, 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 and I think we also have to notice, though, I mean, you, you brought it up, so I want to make a statement here. We know the Russian disinformation campaign. When they targeted oh, Hillary Clinton, they were also targeting it to get Sanders voters to not vote for her, to spark that oh, split. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. And I, you know, I, and again, Bernie Sanders, I think, would have, like Clinton, would have been a strong nominee. Mm -hmm. uh, except I, I do think, and I, I sometimes have raised this issues with some of Sanders' more devout, support, devout supporters, is, you know, do you ever stop and think why the GOP never mentioned one word about Sanders during the 2016 primary, and they put all their ammunition verbally, not, phys not physically, right. just let me make that clear, ammunition on Hillary Clinton, and they can't, they say, well, he was too much of a threat, and I say, actually, no, I think the GOP really wanted Sanders to be the nominee, and that, I'll just leave it at that, and again, I think Bernie Sanders is a decent man who means well, I understand why he's popular, and I, I think, you know, if he's going to be facing Trump next year, I think he's got a very strong chance 
of, you know, solidly defeating Donald Trump. But then again, I think several other Democratic candidates do, too. But I, I just there's not that kind of tension. Yes, you're having we're seeing these raucous debates and the format of them so far has been terrible. I, I really just hope Tom Perez of the DMC can get his act together in terms of demanding better conditions for these televised debates. There frankly should not be 10 candidates on a, you know, on the stage at one time. They need, it needs to be broken down a little more. But I, I think just the, the, where the attitude is, is we want Trump out and we're going to get behind the nominee with everything we have mm. that, that may, you know, I don't want, we don't want to make any predictions of what happens right. next year. Um, but it's, it's an interesting thing to watch for sure. I just, I don't, I, I could sense early on before the 2016 election and even before the primary, there was a lot of dissatisfaction among certain parts of Democratic voters. Uh, and and uh, just, it, it's, and it's bigger than just Clinton or Sanders. This was just general dissatisfaction with maybe what the issues were at the time and whether anybody was really addressing them. Um, you know, again, we all know what happened right. from there. So I, I just think there's a, there's just a more, I don't want to say congenial, but I think it applies for now attitude towards most of the democratic candidates and how they're handling one another. And again, that's, yeah, I find it amusing this Dems in disarray, narrative every time you have a debate where any candidate says anything even remotely critical i've had another candidate well you know that's why you debate because you you say here's what i believe here's where i think i'm a better candidate than my friend uh from vermont than my friend from you know what i mean they're there to to do that it's not we hate each other's guts it's hey man i want this yeah, nomination. And, and here's why I can be Trump and I can address the kitchen table and, you know, issues voters care you know, about. And, and it's I can put spin. this country on a better path. You know, it's mostly spin. You know, it's really and, and also even coming from the GOP. Oh, you know, they're eating themselves alive. Well, we'll see what happens when we get there. Let's move on to our next topic yeah. here um, and wrap it up uh, quickly, uh, just because. You know, it's almost like, uh, you know, giving this guy um, any more airtime um, or podcast time. Um, you know, I think it's necessary we talk about it, but, Je- you know, Jeffrey Epstein, um, you know, what what he went through. And I want to clarify something I said, uh, I think, in our last podcast, maybe the one before that. And I know that uh, uh, I don't know whether you took it that way, but I had said I wanted to tell, um, um, you know, these ladies and girls not to take the money. And what I meant was specifically not um, in settlement or try to take his money, but I mean that there are some who were lured by funds um, and went along, and um, they make other people victims. Um, and that's kind of what I meant by that. And I, 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 I just you know it's been haunting me I guess for a week or two. So I just wanted to make that clear. Um, no, no, I understood. I understand completely. Um, but. So he dies um, a month and five yeah, days. Riddance. Yeah, well, yes and no. Um, you know, I would have liked to seen him do, you know, uh, you know, actually face justice. Um, but I understand oh, what you're coming here, with, John. Completely. You know, completely. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not going to shed a tear, but at the same time, it's created this vacuum in answers, in justice for the victims yeah. and for everybody else. There is a huge vacuum that is create that that has been created by his death. 
um, all these accusations of who was there, who wasn't. I don't even want to get into Donald Trump saying, you know, it's, you know, you know, check Bill Clinton. You know, I mean, I think, um, you know, all that stuff is, you know, coming from a president just shows, you know, that he's kind of showing his true colors, that he is not fit to be president. Um, but at the same time, um, what happened? Um, you know, they talked about him having dirt on famous people. Um, there's the, uh, th- you know, when you when we learn that um, they're supposed to have paper sheets, uh, he had real sheets. Um, you know, how does that all happen? Um, and, you know, I, it, you know, the whole thing is just, you know, knowing from where he came from, teaching at a school, um, going to Bear Stearns, stealing money from maybe from the Victoria's Secret guy, you know, and then and then what he ends up doing with his island and his kids and his, you know, creating a uh, more like him, um, which I, I guess is the sickest and scariest part about it, if he wanted to duplicate himself, what he was trying to duplicate. Um, you know, but I think what it ends up coming to is, you know, now you got, you know, Ghislaine Maxwell um, having to take the whole brunt of it. Um, and I don't know whether she's guilty or not. I, I, I have no idea. Um, but. We know that it was still um, Epstein, Epstein, who was doing all this, um, and and you know he was funding it. It was all his drive. Um, you know, I hope if she's guilty, she gets what she deserves as well. Um, I hope everyone gets paid off from the millions if they were true victims. Um, and you know, whatever is really going on and whatever happened in that in that prison. Um, needs to be investigated and needs to be investigated properly. And I, you know, and I, the last little bit I want to say before I turn it over to you is I know that the Attorney General William Barr is going to be ultimately responsible for this investigation. And at some point, I don't even know whether I personally trust that he's going to do it right because of all of the different um, uh, tweakings, all of the different kind of. Um, uh, I guess immoral, uh, and maybe that's not the right word, but potentially conflicted um, actions that he's already taken in a short time being in this office and what he did in his first time as being AG and what he wrote about in between these times. I don't know whether you can trust him, or at least I don't feel like we can trust what's going to come out of this at this point. And, it, uh, you know, again, I wanted him alive to face consequences. And, you know, I think his, even his victims especially are robbed of that. I'm not. Um, I'll go on with my life and I have my own, um, you know, you know, situations I have to deal with. But there's, you know, these poor people that went out there and they're not going to get any, um, you know, direct justice for him. Um, he was either, you know, I don't know what happened, but, you know, if the suicide is the way it went, um, he was given the easy way out. And that's it. No, I, look, I agree. I, I look, I, I say good riddance just simply because he was such, such a horrible, horrible person. Um, and, you know, look, I think Epstein knew he was going to be rotted in prison. We know what happens to pedophiles in prison. Um, again, no sympathy whatsoever for any of them. But they're, you know, back to Barr, who, look, he's not, We do, again, just like we don't have a real president, John, we don't have a real attorney general. Barr is there to protect Trump at all costs. And so far, I mean, he's, you know, not doing that great of a job because little by little, an impeachment process is starting in Congress. Uh, so, you know, not really worth Trump's investment in that respect. But 
and make no mistake, I, you know, I, I'm sure he's going to handle this badly like he's handled everything else. And, and frankly, I think most Americans don't trust William Barr to do the right thing on this at all. Um, and, and it should be noted, Epstein was supposed to be on suicide watch 24-7. And apparently somebody failed at their job on that. And also we've learned, according to CBS News Today, that several corrections officers may have falsified reports saying they checked in on Epstein. So, my God, these are the people who were paid to watch this man to make sure he doesn't kill himself. And they failed. Um, there are just there are so many really unsettling questions around this, not just for the other players, such as Trump or Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, who, by the way, according to Buckingham Palace, has announced he's going to retire from public life. I think that timing is pretty strange. I don't know about you. Um, more or less, that's what they're announcing today. Yeah, and that yeah. is really freaky. Who knows? So I just, I, who knows? But it's, you know, Andrew has been connected to this. So has Bill Richardson, the former governor of New Mexico, known for his diplomatic skills as well. George Mitchell, another, you know, vet, yeah, well, quote unquote, venerated you know, I mean, I mean, senator yeah. who's, I mean, this is just extraordinary. This has been disturbing for such a long time. Yeah, but, you know, and, I mean, throwing names out, I think, becomes, you know, like we had talked about before, you know, you get into the scarlet letter area where you know that, you know, we don't know what's gone on. And, and until there's, you know, you know, Mitchell and Richardson and, and even Prince Andrew at this point. I mean, there's there's some allegations. The I haven't any heard any victims make allegations against Richardson, for example. No, I, just that I, he was it, close with him. Same thing that. with Trump. I, you know, but there are specific no. allegations against Dershowitz um, by victims, and at least that's what I have been able to ascertain. And if 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 if, if I'm not remembering that right, but anybody who has a victim making claim that that Epstein uh, facilitated this then maybe we can throw the scarlet letter on them. But I don't know that. You know, I don't know that for most of these people. And and that's partially why I think allowing him to die, uh, because that's really what the federal government ended up doing here, is is so um, wrong. Because we know we might not get to this um, at all. Because it won't be just be what, what, what Epstein did now. It's going to only be really what Maxwell did legally. Um, they might sue. I mean, they probably will end up suing the uh, his trust or his estate, but some of that might end up being, you know, deals will end up being made, and 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 uh, silence will be bought, and you know that's that's you know you you don't do that in a criminal case only now that it's over and they're going to be um, uh, civil cases. So you know, again, it's just a sad thing that he's dead to me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I understand, and I, I understand that I might by mentioning the names of these very famous, prominent people, John. I'm not know, inferring I'm that they committed any illegal acts, but they're. But my point is, and I, I make it because this is all part of what makes this particular case so incredible. And frustrating. And it, it, again, my ultimate hope is for justice for these victims. And, and that all of those who were involved are indeed held accountable 
to the full extent of the law. And that, frankly, you know, I I have more faith in what the FBI is doing Mm -hmm. in regards to the investigation. I have absolutely a confidence or faith in the DOJ because William Barr is running it. And, And might I add, by the way, this is on Epstein's death indirectly is on both William Barr, who runs the DOJ, and Donald Trump. So it, it's and you know you mentioned some things about the conspiracy theories. I don't want to get into too much of it, but it seems to me it, I'm I'm just going down a, a path here. Stay with me for a moment. <laughs> Always. If if the tribe people knew had some real evidence that say Bill Clinton, the former president, has his own issues not connected to this, but obviously with other bad behavior, if they really had evidence or proof that Bill Clinton was more involved with Epstein than what we know, why, you know... Yeah, yeah. do we really think they, they wouldn't be... That. Right, exactly, they, they, exactly. They would have... And what I do find, Trump is so incredibly stupid. Every time he mentions the Clintons, <laughs> it simply reminds a lot of voters that he, too, has had a relationship with Epstein. Mm-hmm. Never mind these videos we've seen of he and Epstein surrounded by a bunch of cheerleaders, which also is just cringe-inducing and nauseating. Um, and this is back in the early 90s. So it's ultimately, I just, let's hope the FBI can prevail here in getting the real story out of what happened and that every single person is held accountable and that Epstein's estate can be sued so these young women get justice and can try to heal their lives. I, I, and that we, you know, we just make sure that something like this never happens again, which I know is asking too much. Right. And I, I just, again, I'll tell you, everyone should be following Julie K. Brown, the incredible Miami Herald reporter who brought all of this to life. I, they're, they're just, they're, there should be no limits on the journalism awards that this woman should win because her work has been a public service. Karen, as always, I've enjoyed our, our podcast time today. Um, and you know, you, you teaching me things on these podcasts is, is, is really why it's fun. So thanks. Um, we'll be well, back thank you. next week. I hope, um, as long as everything at least stays the same. Um, and, uh, Karen and I'll be back next week to give you more information on the political world, what's going on around the world. Um, again, Karen, thank you. Um, any last words for our listeners? Well, John, I learned a lot from you and above all to our listeners. Thank you so much for your support and, um, and uh, putting up with me sometimes. I, I get very wound up on these things. Although, you know, just given the insanity we see every day in this country, it's hard not to. But I think tonight I'm, I'm going to cook a good dinner and go for a walk, and I hope everyone has a peaceful and pleasant week otherwise. That's, that's perfectly right. It's a hard knock life. We'll talk at <laughs> you next time, everybody. Thanks. But thank you. Bye-bye.